Well, good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Anita J and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. And today is Wednesday, May 22nd, 2019. And this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 27, the fifth paragraph, which is the last paragraph, and it begins upon hearing this. And we are commenting and reading only that paragraph. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Diane G, the 12 traditions, Linda C, and the readers of the text this morning are Jan ST and Katie G with our backup hoodie R. And um, our 8 a.m. host is Rebecca B and the newcomer greeter is Lisa B. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, May 21st for the 7 a.m. meeting is 12,935. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, 12,937. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a vision for you, Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'll now ask Diane G. to read OA's 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, 
continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Diane G. I'll now ask Linda C. to read OA's 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Linda C. Tradition 1, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 2, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I'll pass. Thank you so much, Linda C. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery as described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today we will resume our study of the big book, the very last paragraph on page 27, which begins upon hearing this, and we'll be commenting on that one paragraph. 
and I've asked Jana, Jan St to read this and get get us started. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Anita. This is Jan St from the Boston area, gratefully recovered overeater. Um, good morning, my fellow visionaries. What a gift that you're all here on the line with me today. Okay, so upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for we reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Okay, so the beginning of this paragraph I found hard to relate to because I came into OA, having been raised uh, by a religious mom and practicing a religion, being confirmed in my religion and um, my religion of my childhood, and then rejecting that as an adolescent and going through most of my adult years um, as flipping between either agnostic or atheist. Um, so when I read the beginning of this paragraph saying that he had um, hopes because he was a good church member, um, I can't really relate, and I know more of my fellows will speak on that as we go along, so that'll be lovely to hear about their uh, experiences around this. Um, but I can relate to uh, his hopes being dashed, um, because when I came into the rooms, I heard a lot of talk about God and spiritual experiences and so forth, and I thought, although I wasn't a church member and thought I was a, a, you know, in good standing with God, um, I thought, there is no God. Um, so my hopes were dashed because I thought, how can I be successful at this program? This program of OA, I'm a compulsive reader, I'm morbidly obese. How can I be successful at this? I felt so at home in the rooms until the talk started to turn to, to uh, spiritual matters. And then I felt like a fish out of water. Um, and so um, I can relate to that part for sure. Um, then, thankfully, I learned that the, that the uh, vital spiritual experience that the doctor was talking about here and that all my fellows were talking about in the rooms um, was something that I would grow into and that I would be able to um, define on my own. Uh, one of the first th areas I got some relief around was uh, when I learned that the spiritual, what the spiritual experience was um, and um, in the appendix in the back, the appendices too, uh, there are lots of different descriptions for spiritual experience, for spiritual awakening, personality change, uh, let's see, God consciousness, of course I didn't like that one too much, alteration in his reaction to life. And so I could hang on to one of those or more of those descriptions as I moved through my program. Um, and uh, use that as a scaffolding to build uh, the educate. I have a, a, a spiritual awakening of the educational variety, which we will talk about a little bit later. Um, and I guess I'll just add, uh, finish with saying, um, as I worked through the program, I became more and more. As I worked through the twelve steps, I became more and more open um, to having that kind of spiritual experience. And I think if um, the past is any indicator that it is something I'll always be growing into, I will not have arrived. I know when I started OA nine years ago, I began this journey of a spiritual awakening or a complete rearrangement of my life. Um, 
and that has uh, deepened as I as I work the 12 steps, and I assume it will continue to deepen um, with the direction of my higher power. So thank you for allowing me to share this morning. Thank you so much, Janice T. Now, folks, if you haven't shared in the last day or two, I'd say two, um, please press star one to unmute. Um, Janice Janice Just a minute and Chuck K. Patrick K. Crystal P. Crystal P. Crystal P. and and um, Kathy K. And who who was that last voice? Yeah, Shlomit Hana B. Shlomit Hana B. You've got to spell that for me. Okay, it's S H L O M like mother, I T like Tom, Shlomit Hana. Shlomit Hana. B. Okay. Thank you. Deborah. And, De- and Deborah, and that, that's a great beginning here. Okay, let's see if I have everybody. I hope I have. Janice PM, uh, Chuck K, Crystal P, Kathy K, um, Shlomit Hana B, and Deborah S. All right, Deborah S. All right, Janice PM, good morning to you. And a special good morning to you, and thank you for your service, and everyone. My name is Janice PM, and I'm from Massachusetts, recovered compulsive overeater. Well, when I came into um, this program, I thought I had it made because I had faith. I taught in religious schools. I lived across the street from the church. Um, I lived across the street, but my parents had a bakery downstairs, so you can imagine how I was eating at that time. And um, yeah, when he says you know, oh, he felt relieved. Oh, I have it made. You know, I believe in a God, but I wasn't practicing the principles of my church. I would teach a class of, um, you know, children all this, you know, all my religion um, behaviors, and then I would go out and do what I had to do. And of course, I was eating, and that would be a big block. And I was not in, you know, I had, I mean, I grew up uh, by. Uh, doing uh, no hope, um, thinking that I was, you know, a big shot, that I knew everything. Well, those aren't the principles that my church practiced. It practiced, it told me, you know, about humility, like these two doctors. Um, They had humility. Remember, Dr. Silkworth had his humility. He gave him the problem, but he couldn't give him the solution. But then, you know, Dr. Young had, you know, had the solution, but really didn't know the problem, and so here we are. You know, this is a bad, this is confusing. But the most important thing here is that you know the hope, the hope. This hope, however, was destroyed. Yeah, mine was destroyed when I came into the fellowship, just like the church, because you know I I was doing everything. My convictions were good. You know, oh, yeah, you don't do this and you don't do that. But I had no relationship with my God. I had no humility. I was the God. And, of course, there was no change. I mean, I would go to church, then I would come home and do this or do that or go out or whatever I had to do. My ideas were very, very strong. You couldn't change me. Um, 
I wasn't open-minded. I can remember when I went to college, the, the, the professor said, Janice, you know, you're not a very closed mind. And I didn't even know what that was. But anyway, um, yeah, I did not change. I didn't change my behaviors. I didn't change how I thought. I didn't change how I felt until, you know, I thought I was, when I came in here, I thought, oh, God, I had it all. But I didn't have anything because I wasn't practicing honesty. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not really a compulsive overeater, as I put a donut in my mouth, um, you know, and, and can't stop and then start again. I didn't have any hope because I figured, well, that's how Italians are. We eat. What are we going to do? Uh, no integrity. Um, certainly didn't make amends because how could I make amends when I was right? Um, so, you see, I wasn't practicing um, this, the religious principles. Mm. And, you know, and that's time. And so how could I have a vital spiritual experience? It's impossible. And so with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Janice PM. All right, Chuck K. And then it will be Crystal P. Good morning. This is Chuck K., compulsive overeater. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Hey, I'm so thankful for this meeting today. I really needed it. Um, I had I, I really relate to the previous share in that I felt I had it all together. I'm, I live in the South. We go to church. I married a Southern Baptist preacher's daughter, uh, raise our kids in church. So I had that old contempt prior to investigation coming into program. And I remember my first sponsor asking me, well, you know, if you have such a good relationship with God, why isn't he helping you with this? And I, I didn't, I, I didn't understand why he didn't. I thought, well, I don't know why he did. he's not helping me with this. And then later on in the program, about two years after that, I had someone tell me that it's okay for me to change my conception of God. And that scared me because I thought I had everything under control. But it doesn't take but one look in the mirror to see someone who, although you're six foot four, you're 400 pounds, something's wrong. And what I learned, and I learned a lot of things about my experiential experience and my relationship with God, but there were things about God that did not work for me that I was able to let go of and cast to the side. And I was able to replace that with a loving, kind God that takes care of me. And the, and the thing that I learned is God didn't change. God's always there. He's there ready to run to me anytime I ask him. He will get out, get up, whatever he's doing, he will stop it for me if I'll let him. And it finally got me to the answer that that first sponsor asked me, why didn't God help you? It was because God loved me so much, he was not going to enable me. He was not going to keep me from the answers I needed to find out for myself by taking my fat away. He loved me enough not to do that, he or she or whatever. And so now I appreciate that. And that's a love beyond my understanding. And so I don't need to get into the thoughts of, you know, those questions that I can ask myself about things that I'll never know the answers to. I just know that my God loves me enough to do what I need him to do when I need him to do it. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chuck Kay. 
Uh, Crystal P, good morning, and then it'll be Kathy K. Hi, good morning. This is Crystal P. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you, Crystal. Good morning. Um, I was really grateful to read this part of the, uh, the big book today. Um, I came into program as a uh, practicing in my uh, religious faith and very passionate about it. Like I would go to church very regularly. My um, my my deepest dream was to be a nun, uh, and I surrounded myself with all my religious friends. We talked about my faith all the time. I learned about it and studied about it all the time. Um, and when I came into program, it, it was it was baffling to me. It was baffling to me why I would sit around the table and I would listen to people who said that they, um, they that you know said they were atheists or agnostic, and and they had they were able to turn their will and their life over to the care of God. Because when I came in, I thought step two and step three should be a breeze. Like I should just be able to, as soon as I figure out that I'm powerless, I should be able to just breeze over those two steps because I, you know, I, I have my faith and I, I, and I love God. And so I should be able to turn my will and life over. But what I found is that it was a battle. I, there was this stubbornness and this defiance in me, and I refused to turn my will and life over to God. And then I sat around the table and I listened to people who uh, said that they were atheists, and they had fully, completely, unreservedly turned their will and life over to God. And that baffled me. And what I came to find was my relationship with God didn't spell out the vital religious, ex- uh, vital spiritual experience because it was a controlled relationship. God, I allowed God to touch only some areas of my life and then other areas, especially when it came to feeling good, I couldn't trust God with that. That had to be on me. So if, if I wanted to feel good, I had to be able to do whatever I needed to do. I couldn't trust God to decide, okay, now, you know, you're having a bit of a downtime in life, you know, experience that. And then that, that too will pass and one, one day you'll feel better. There was, um, I wasn't ready to be that kind of vulnerable with God. And I thought that if I surrounded myself with religious people and studied about this, I would know God. But the truth is, that's not true. That's not how you get to know someone. You have to spend time with them. You have to meet them on their terms and not sort of control the entire relationship. I remember the part in the big book where it says, we as addicts don't know how to have relationships based on trust and vulnerability. So I had to, it was very scary. I had to meet God almost, it almost felt like for the first time and say like, okay, hi, I'm Crystal. You know, uh, can we just get to know each other from scratch? Like, can we start again? Because I've kind of, I've not actually let you in. And now my relationship with God is so different. I spend time with God and I ask for his help all the time. Um, It's never like, I've got this. It's always, can you please help me out here? I talk to God in the car while I'm driving. I, um, yeah, just have regular conversations with him. And I'm honest about where I am if I'm upset with him or... I'm struggling, and that's when power flows right when it's needed. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thanks so much, Crystal P. All right, Kathy K., and then it'll be uh, Shlomo Khanabi. Hi, Kathy. Good morning, Anita. Thank you for your service. This is Kathy K. in Boston, recovered, and um, I kind of pushed myself to share on this paragraph today because... um, I had many years in program where I had complete contempt for the idea of God. Uh, I remember my first OA meeting, um, and I almost didn't come back to my second one because of 
the frequent mention of God and how he had helped people get and stay abstinent. But, you know, even then when I was such a an agnostic, almost atheist, uh, I look back now and see how uh, this higher power was actually working in my life and I just didn't know it. Um, and I did come, keep coming back, and uh, I struggled with this idea of a higher power for many years. I mean, I've now been in the rooms 20-some-odd years, and I would say it was a good 10 years before I actually became open enough and honest enough to recognize my need for a power greater than myself. Um, and even then, I I had a really hard time conceptualizing what God is for me. And thankfully, all my fellows and my teachers in these rooms taught me um, to act as if, to write out a description of what I need my hired power to be, and to a lot time on a daily basis to being with my higher power. And I would say those three elements are what has enabled me to grow a relationship with God. Um, I'm very comfortable today with spending time with God, um, which is something that was very, very difficult for me at first. But I would say it's the pausing, it's the communicating with prayer and asking for help, and then it's listening honestly with willingness and humility that enables me to actually uh, feel the presence of God, which I want to acknowledge is kind of fleeting. It comes and goes. I really have to work at it on a daily basis. The uh, fruit of that labor is clear. I am recovered today, and I know I need God on a daily basis to to remain in recovery. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Kathy Kay. Shlomo Hana B, and then it will be Deborah S. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you so, so much for your service. And thank you, everybody, for being on this line. Really appreciate this meeting tremendously. I'm Shlomit Hanabi, and um, just grateful to be here, and always, always grateful to talk about God. I'm part of a religious community. I didn't grow up religious, but I became religious. And I see that there's a big difference between being religious, quote-unquote, and being spiritual. Um, They're not necessarily the same thing. And for me, um, part of my vital spiritual experience is the daily connection with God, but also um, my conception of God. Um, I was reminded when I heard... Uh, the special edition a couple weeks ago, that was a couple weeks ago, that the purpose of our becoming abstinent and recovered is not just so that we can lead a selfish life, but so that we can give to others 
and be of service to other people. And that's very important for me because as an addict, I can get very into my own self and my own needs and and isolate. This is a disease of isolation, and I can go there. And to be reminded that my mission is not just to become recovered as a means in itself, but so that I can be of service, I can help other people. That, to me, is a very godly thing because my image of God is giving and kindness. And it's taken me a while to get that image. It's taken me a while because um, I always had a loving image of God, but there was also an image of punishing and shame. And that really came from um, just my own experiences that I interpreted and brought on to God. I'm learning that God is not shame. God is not shame and God is not punishing. And for me, that's a very, very, very important element um, because it's very easy for me to get into the shame and to shame myself. I'm on day two um, of abstinence again. And um, I had 11 and a half years of good abstinence and recovery. And I picked up about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago. And it would be very, very easy for me to go to that punishing place with the, with the self-criticism and shame myself. But you know what? I've been able to say through this process that if I want to recover, I need to have a more godly view. And God does not shame God will never, ever, ever shame and ever put me down. I do that to myself, and I don't have to go there today. And um, for me, that's really, that's been a very transform. thank you, that's been a very transformative experience. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Um, if you haven't shared uh, in the last couple of days, I'm going to open it up after Deborah S. And Deborah bus. Yes, you're coming up right this second. I just okay. want to tell everybody we're on the bottom of page 27, reading one paragraph. All right, Deborah, go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you, everyone on the line that makes this meeting possible. A wonderful sharing. My name is Deborah S., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New Jersey. And me, too, I was also somewhat relieved um, because I was also a, a good member of my of, of of where I prayed, and um, I thought that that was, you know, that I've had it, you know, that I got what it takes, and the truth of the matter is, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I'm learning in this program that, you know, it, there's so much for me to go, you know, I, I don't just arrive, I haven't arrived yet, um, but I'm willing to, to grow towards, um, you know, towards it, and, um, you know, I grew up in a home where, it was stressed a lot that it was meant to be, you know, whatever happens, God wanted it to happen. It was meant to be. Um, so I grew up with that concept very, very much. Um, but I needed to, I, you know, I needed to walk the talk and walk the walk and really, and really, really, you know, from my heart, um, um, really live this thing. And, um, and it's only here in program, you know, coming in and hearing all of you speak, how your experiences, you know, how, 
and how you develop a relationship with God that I'm able to incorporate that into my life today. And, you know, what a difference that is today. I'm so grateful. And, um, you know, I'm still a member of, of where I go and I play, um, but I'm taking all these experiences with me and I'm taking the principles in this program with me um, in my religion. And, it, and, and, um, and it's so valuable. Um, and, you know, I just know that as long as I do these things in this program, these concepts, these, these principles in this program, um, and I just continue to, um, you know, with abstinence, you know, give service and get out of myself and be there and, and do service, um, you know, because that's, that's, that's what, that, that I really believe is what, you know, what God wants from me today, um, to smash that ego, um, to get out of myself, to be of service, and, you know, to be able to show up today for other people. Um, just like, you know, you know I, I really believe that God is there you know, for the big things in life, in my life, you know, but, you know, I'm learning today that God is there for even the little, littlest things, and when I'm able to see how, I'm, I'm able to see that on a daily basis, you know, just, I don't want to go into details, but, you know, yeah, it just, so many things happen when um, I'm just pausing and letting God take over, and, um, and that is, and I, and I guess this has, you know, miraculous things happen because, um, you know, letting God pave the way today. And um, and it is a spiritual experience. And we read about the spiritual experience in the back of the book. And to mm-hmm. me, it is very gradual. And I'm just going to let it keep going for me and, 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 and let God lead the way for me today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you, Deborah. All right. Who else would like to comment on that paragraph? Well, Sam. Not yet, be- Ross, Thank you. Barbara, 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 and before Barbara E. Who was that? Maybe it was Beth W. Okay, Beth W. All right, I have six. We'll see if we have any more time. Uh, all right, Russ M. Please go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, family. Russ M. Recover Compulsive Overeater outside of Philly. Um, so in my 20s, about 23, 24 years old, I had major spiritual conversion. Uh, crazy, crazy, uh, change in my life, but I was still eating and, uh, you know, I, I, I tried and I scratched and called to keep this, you know, sometimes you scratch and call to keep our abstinence. I was, I was scratching and calling to keep this spiritual way of life, this, this new, you know, this new life that I gained in the spiritual way. And I just, I, and, and I've been fist fighting all the way up to two years, two and a half years ago, right? And it's like, how come if I'm such a Christian and I'm working on my faith, it's just not coming to me. That relationship is not coming to me. And just this morning, I felt like, how the heck could it come 
when I was putting food before God? How could it? How could you nurture something? You know, that's like stepping on a on a on a hose, you know, and just cranking the water up and expecting water to come out the other end. Something was blocking me, and it was this disease and my 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 own me getting in in the way, my ego, my self centeredness. You know, I tried. I had. I had. My heart was for, for God. It's just I can never nurture it. You know, I would. I'd be out at a at a, at a retreat, and have this incredible weekend, or play with our band in front of all these people and have this experience. But then I'd go home right back to the food. It wasn't nurtured. It was snuffed out. It was like, you know, putting out a a fire. You know, you stamped on a fire. But see, I, all those years were great. It was perfect that that happened because I would never be where I'm at right now, spiritually. Now, look, I ain't the, you know, the yogi guru or, you know, Mother Teresa or nothing like that. But I'm closer and closer in developing a deeper, intimate relationship with God. I'm learning what, what really surrender is, what love is, what gratitude is. And you know what? My highs are so much higher. And my lows, they they sting and hurt. They do hurt. But I, now I know all I got to do is reach out my hand, and God is right there. It's because of this beautiful program. It's because of the, working these steps, you know, self-sacrifice and uh, helping a couple people out, giving back what was given to me. And, uh, you know, I never thought coming in because I was a Christian that I had an upper hand. I just thought that I'd be more open to it. But, boy, did I get open. Boy, did I get open. More than I ever could believe I could be open and have a beautiful relationship with God. So, as always, I love you guys. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Rasam. All right, Nadia B., and then it'll be Beth W. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. Thank you so much for your service. Nadia B., recovered in Connecticut by the grace of God. Um, I can relate to Roland, you know, I um, grew up with Ten Commandments, and uh, I thought I knew it all, and, uh, you know, I could, I could relate to him, say, oh, I'm just going to go back to church, uh, or, you know, maybe I'm in the wrong religion, I'm going to switch my Ten Commandments to an eightfold path, or something like that, um, and so, you know, and I did. And I did, and I tried, and I tried over and over, you know, um, yoga retreats and uh, meditation practices. And it did not spell or expel my desire for eating. You know, I wanted, um, you know, I still wanted. The bags and boxes and wrappers were still in my car. Uh, and my, in my case, and that's what the Dr. Jung is describing to us, in this case, in my case, you know, for a lot of people, even for people in my family, right, they had a spiritual experience when they went to those places. I did not. I don't know why. Um, and so in my case, religion did not result in necessary vital spiritual experience, meaning, you know, necessary for living, vital, 
it's necessary for me to breathe and um, as much as it is necessary for me to have the spiritual experience. And, um, you know, I knew all along that gluttony was bad for me, was bad for, for my spirit, it was bad for everybody. Knowing it did not make me stop. But what did make me stop is um, the program of action. And today I understand that knowing and practicing are two different things. And um, so what, what this book is teaching me that I need to practice. I need to take this spirit in, in action. And that's what it means for me to have this um, spiritual experience. Um, and it connects my knowing, meaning my mind, and my doing, my actions. And it turns it, you know, um, into the spiritual life that I have today. And all of it is spiritual. With that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Nadia. Uh, Beth W., and then it'll be Barbara E. Good morning, Beth. Hi, good morning. This is Beth W. from North Dakota, compulsive overeater recovered today. <clears throat> Thanks for taking, uh, hearing my name and calling on me. Um, I, too, um, can echo so much of what's already been said. Um, active in my faith community, um, a religious leader, and um, I had lots of convictions. Um, what I didn't have was action or attitude that translated into trust um, in my higher power. And um, I kept wanting a feeling. Like, I want, I want the feeling. And um, some of my um, fellows and coworkers at my place of faith said, you know, faith isn't always a feeling. Sometimes you have to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And then I came into this program and I heard the same thing. And, but it wasn't until I could put the food down and, and, uh, as Russ said, unkink my hose and let let things flow um, that I could have a spiritual experience of um, and let and let God in. I was still um, battling for control, and when when I finally surrendered to God, instead of trying to tell the God of my understanding what I thought God should do for me, um, that I could have. Uh, a beginning of a spiritual experience. I, I had lots of head knowledge and not a lot of heart um, in my relationship with the God of my understanding. And I think that's the difference between a conviction and experience, uh, spiritual experience. I could, I could, I had a lot of conviction. I had a lot of what I thought needed to happen, but I, but until I could surrender and allow God in and trust, even just the basic baby trust, like floating in water. Um, you know, when a child is learning to swim and they float and they trust their swim instructor that they're not going to sink and they relax, until I could do that, um, I couldn't experience um, God in a new way. And, uh, and so I'm grateful for the teachers I've had in this program and on this line who um, and in my life in the last few years who have helped me um, learn to trust because I didn't have a lot of that before. I had a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of trust. 
And with that, I will pass. Thank you all for teaching me, and I'll, uh, I'll pass to the next person. Thanks. Thank you very much, Beth W. Barbara E., good morning, and then it will be Lisa B. Good morning, Anita, and thank you, everyone. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Well, a compulsive overeating, binging life was not a happy life for me. Compulsive overeating cut me off from people and from even thinking about the possibility of God. One of the worst things about my disease was the loneliness. And one of the best things about OA for me was the fellowship because my binging had cut me off from other people, from people who mattered to me, my family, my friends, my community. No matter how much I loved them, I built this wall between me and them with my secretive compulsive eating. I cut myself off from the world and could not bring myself to tell anyone, not even my husband or my best friend, how I was suffering. I was being eaten from the inside while expanding on the outside. As a result, I was terribly lonely and depressed. And here I was told I needed God. Oh, my goodness, this could be a deal breaker. But thank goodness for Appendix 2 on page 567, because William James explained that while many experience a spiritual transformation, many, many others experience more of a transformation of the educational variety, and that friends might notice it first. And that's been my experience. Finally, I realized that I had had a change in my attitudes towards myself and others and the world, and that I had tapped into some inner resource by reaching out to God and letting him change me, not give him a laundry list of what I wanted him to do. But first, I had to be willing to accept the possibility that there was a higher power out, out there for me to build on, and that could be the cornerstone of the arch we refer to that would bring God into my heart. My mind couldn't do it. Diets couldn't do it. But finding God, this God of my understanding, allows me every day to stay centered and to stop allowing others to edit my reality to tell me what my higher power should be. It might be theirs, but it doesn't have to be mine. I didn't have to stop jumping through. Uh, I could stop, uh, stop jumping through hoops to confirm others' conceptions and stop pra pressuring others to change. I just have to know that I can find God if I want it. So now I ask God to thank you. I ask God to help me set aside everything I thought I knew and just listen with the inner ear of my heart. I pass. Thanks so much, Barbara E. Lisa B, good morning, and then it'll be Judy E Q. Good morning. Can you all hear me? Yes, yes, I can. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Um, what a great reading. Um, 
Uh, I, I came into program um, about 30 years ago. I'm kind of an old timer, and I had no idea about God and conception. I grew up, you know, somewhat not that religious in uh, the Jewish faith, and when I got a sponsor and was going through the steps and, you know, my concept of God, it was all so open and, you know, I re- I got abstinent pretty quickly in those days. My abstinence has changed, you know, over the years to different things and behaviors have still some issues, but basically I'm quite happy with the way I eat, what I eat, and um, what I physically look like today. My relationship with God is, I feel like God is a a religious term for happiness. And that this dimensionless, who knows what, that we can't all, you know, we can't actually see, exists, I believe, in all of us. And I think that by, for me, looking at the world I have an intuitive feeling that there's something that made all this. And that's how I feel about God. And I feel also, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, and I've got this from my, my spiritual teacher, that you, you, can't, you kind of stand at the, the opening of the door. We can't even put our attention on what it is because it's, you know, unless we get you know, our own concept. But for me, it's like, like a disease, you may, let's say, colitis or whatever it is. It ha- you can't, like, have colitis. You have symptoms of it. And like God, you can't see it, but the symptoms to me are when I'm loving, when I'm peaceful, when I experience beauty, when I have laughter, um, when I'm creative, I'm with friends, I'm sharing, I'm writing, I'm enjoying, I'm peaceful, and I'm happy. So that's sort of what, you know, and I have this relationship with my thoughts, that I use them, I'm going to try to use them for practical reasons, and then the rest, I want to celebrate what God is. And I'm working on that. Right this month or this week, I'm working on the love aspect. So God bless you all with lots of love today. And I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks so very much, Lisa B. Judy E.Q., you are up. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Judy E.Q., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in California. Isn't this an interesting thing? This is what we're discussing. Why is it that even when we our religious convictions are very good, they do not in our case spell the necessary vital spiritual experience? Why would that be? It's really, really an interesting question, and there's been a lot of great ideas about it. One thing that I believe is that because I am a compulsive overeater, if I'm going to have a vital spiritual experience, I need to recover, I need to be abstinent, and I need to help another compulsive overeater. 
as a compulsive overeater. That is part of God's will for my life, perhaps. And just by going to church or being part of a religious group, that doesn't come up. We don't talk about specific diseases like that in churches and synagogues and mosques. So coming into Overeaters Anonymous, I had a spiritual awakening immediately simply by coming into a room of compulsive overeaters who were admitting powerlessness over food. That was a spiritual experience right then and there. And I knew right then and there that I was home and that this was my spiritual, I didn't know it was my spiritual community. I did not know that. But I have come to know that because there's something about helping another compulsive overeater that brings me closer to my higher power. I feel closest, I believe, to my higher power when, when I'm helping another compulsive overeater. So that's my two cents on this topic. Thanks, everybody, for being there. I love you all. Thank you so much, Jody. EQ, we have time for one two-minute share. Who wants it? Sandy S. from Asheville. Sandy S., go ahead. You take it. You have to speak up a little, though. You sound far away. Yeah, I'm in the car. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, now I can, yes. Well, I think that I am, like, in such an incredible moment right now. I live in North Carolina. It is, I, I didn't always live here. You can pick up the New York accent. But right now, if I don't have a spiritual awareness inside, I don't know if I ever will. I'm driving through the mountains. And it is absolutely panoramic, gorgeous. People would pay so much money to be taking this trip. And I am going to my therapist, who is probably the most covered person I've ever known. Not in a program. But what she has is what the essence of the program is. And I'll start crying. It's, it's a real embodied connection with a higher power. And one of the things I said to her was, I said, you know, there's only one problem in life. I said, disconnection from God. I said, and there's only one solution, connection. And what she said to me is, Sandy, you're always connected. You're always connected. You're not aware of it. And she, I said, well, what about the worst times? She says, you're even more connected in the times where you feel you want to kill yourself or kill someone else. You're even more connected. So that has always stayed with me. And when I'm powerless over is not being aware mm-hmm. that there is this connection. Anyway, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Sandy S. I want to thank everyone who shared today and invite you to join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today's meeting that we've just all experienced is 12,939. One, two, nine, three, nine. 
We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the uh, serenity prayer. And will Katie G. please read that for us? I will, Miss Anita. Thanks for your service, Katie G. Recovered. Vision for you, big book, page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize that we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find. And join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.